Hello everyone, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And in today's video, Jesus reveals himself as the light of the world. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you don't know me, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, BC, Canada. And so we are a physical location church, but we also uh, want to reach people uh, where you're at. And so we're so glad that you're with us here online. Um, I need you to do something. I need you to use your imagination for a moment. I don't know what room you're watching in. Uh, <laughs> living room, kitchen. Um, bathroom, I mean, that's kind of awkward, but hey, it's the reality, right? Uh, just look around your room, and I want you to look for every single light source in your room. Uh, you might have windows in your room, you might have lights in your room. I want you to just use your imagination for a moment. What, what would happen if, if you covered all of those light sources? Well, of course, like your room would become dark. Like if you could absolutely block out all the light from that room that you're in right now, it would become completely dark. Now, I want you to imagine in that darkness that you began to shine a flashlight. What would you be able to see? Like, where would your gaze be the moment you turn that light on? Well, of course, the light. Like, the light is going to be the thing that pierces into that inky darkness that you have around you. Now, what if you, like... 10x the room you're in? What if you like multiplied the size of it uh, to let's say even the size of a stadium? What would happen if you turned on that same light source? If it was completely dark and you turned on in the center of that stadium that same little light source that you had? Well, you'd still be able to see it. No, actually, no matter where you're sitting in that stadium, if someone turned on a light source, you would see the light, you would be drawn to the light. This moment in John is no different than that. Jesus is about to leverage this sort of scene that we're gonna unpack today, and he reveals himself as the light of the world. And that does a couple things. Uh, it uh, draws some people, but it also polarizes some people. So we're gonna explain and explore this revelation, this I am statement that Jesus makes, I am the light of the world. Now I want you to consider the environment, just as we kind of thought through a thought experiment of a dark room and the, the environment, Jesus is revealing himself as the light of the world in a very particular environment. Uh, what's significant about the backdrop of what he's doing is he is located right now as he's teaching this moment in most likely the court of women in the temple grounds. And that's significant because there's something happening during this festival of the tabernacle. So the festival of booths, the feast of booths is with the seven day thing where he's revealing these statements about himself. This is where he is. And the, Mish the Mishnah, it actually describes kind of what's going around, around Jesus in the environment that he's teaching from. It says, at the close of the first festival of the feast, they went down to the court of women, where they had made a great amendment. There were golden candlesticks there with four golden bowls on top of them and four ladders to each candlestick. And four youths 
of the priestly stock and in their hands jars of oil holding 120 logs, which they poured into all the bowls. They made wicks from the worn out drawers of girdles of the priests and with them they set the candlesticks alight and there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect the light. So I want you to consider the environment in which Jesus is, is kind of walking into this I am statement. He's revealing something about himself and John is very interested in writing this out for us so we can kind of see this progression of revelation that Jesus is making in this moment. Now, if you're new with us, we're in a series called the Gospel of John. And so this is where we're discovering the teachings, the life and the implications of Jesus as witnessed and written by John the Apostle. And if you wish to follow along, and if you don't have a Bible, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And you can get a Bible like right now or on your phone, on the, any device that you're on. And we would love to just see you uh, getting access to the Word of God. So let's jump in. So this is John chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus in this moment, he's leveraging the imagery that's going on around him. And he's, he's opening people up to this revelation of who he is. In this moment, he reveals himself as the light of the world. Now, the light motif is thick throughout the Old Testament. The Jewish audience was well aware of the imagery of God as the pillar of fire, for instance. And this verse is like, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. But the, the light motif does more than just um, reveal kind of the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus. It also is kind of seen throughout all of mankind in terms of contrasting these two different kingdoms. And we know this, you know, we, we realize that there are these kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. This is a motif we see throughout all of human history. All storytelling involves this kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, the protagonist, the antagonist. The, this is something that we carry all through human history. And it's, it's reflecting the reality of this world that we live in. And this becomes the tension of contrast that Jesus inserts himself into. In this battle between light and dark, he enters as the hero, as the, as the, as the protagonist, of the story. Think what you will about Jesus, but he still remains the most polarizing person ever. You know, just like if you're in that dark room and you lit a match or you lit a candle, um, you, you can, you can choose to turn away. Like even if you turn your back to that candle, you would still see the evidence of that candle being lit in that room by the shadows bouncing on the walls around you. And so you can't ignore him, but you have to decide what you're going to do with him. Jesus is much like this. Notice that Jesus is very specific about the words he uses here. He's about to contrast these two kingdoms uh, much more starkly, but he sets a precedent early. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Earlier, as Jesus declares, I am the bread of life, he follows it up by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. In other words, 
And unless you eat that bread, it's going to do no good for you. It needs to be in you to have value. And here Jesus is also saying, the light does no good for you unless you follow in the way of the light. Unless you keep up and pace with the light as it explores the world around you, it has no value. There's a following that needs to happen. Salvation is so much more than observation. There's a participation required and there's a submitting of the will. You know, as Paul writes, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word follow in this passage, it carries so much meaning. Uh, it was used for soldiers following the commands of a commanding officer. It was used for a slave or a servant following um, and serving their master. Uh, for one who heeded the counsel of those wiser than them. It also spoke to following the line of someone's teaching and the outcomes and conclusions that they would reach. I think in this case, it means all of the above. When it comes to submitting and following Christ, it means all of the above in the way that this word uh, kind of reflects in wholeness. But just like the first I am statement Christ makes, following becomes the precondition. This kingdom of light is for those who acknowledge him as the Messiah and then give their lives to following his way, serving his kingdom and renouncing the kingdom of darkness that they have been a part of. So there's this sort of entering into a new kingdom and following the light into this new reality, this new paradigm, this new biblical worldview as we seek to follow Christ and the teachings of the apostles. Verse 13, so the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, what's going on here? Well, the Pharisees, they're not interested in submitting themselves to Jesus. Uh, they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They don't believe him to be the Messiah. And so they are kind of blind in this moment by their kind of pre-self-described idea of who the Messiah was going to be. And so they don't, Jesus isn't fitting the bill of that. And so they are seeking to um, discredit him and discredit his claims. So they're going to hold Jesus to this Old Testament standard for judging people in court. And one witness does not make something true. It takes cooperating witness like, to give like a story uh, authority. It's in the presence of two or three witnesses that something is established. So essentially they're saying, Jesus, you can't just say that you're the light of the world, which by the way, they and Jesus both knew was a messianic claim. It was a claim of being the Messiah, the sent one from God. But again, Jesus is revealing something about his nature in this moment. Because we're up against the same dilemma that we were before a few weeks ago. How do you verify the claims of ultimate authority? Well, by definition, ultimate authority is exempt from verification. He just is. You might say, I am that I am. Verse 14, and Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Notice, notice what Jesus does here in this moment. He explains that his witness about himself is simply true. No witness needed. He understands that he is an ultimate authority. Then he goes on to explain why. He, he knows where he comes from and he knows where he's going. There's no mystery uh, to him in terms of where he came from 
and where he's going. There's no mystery or um, fog when it comes to the eternal, this life and the eternal life. He fully understands who he is, where he has come from before this season on the earth. He's always been, he has this understanding of who he is. So this isn't pride. This isn't Jesus going like, I'm proud, like I'm proud in this moment. He just simply knows. He just simply is. I am that I am. So he's speaking to his eternal nature, his existence beyond time and the kingdoms of this world. And he's speaking to these religious rulers who, despite their knowledge and learning, still wade through the vast mysteries of existence. They, 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 they can see, but, but as one who is blind to the eternal and the metaphysical realities of this world and the next. But he's also revealing their ignorance. He says, you judge by the flesh. You can't judge what is beyond this world with an earthly judgment. In, in fact, these are the very people who should have recognized the Messiah because they're so well-versed in the Old Testament. And as we look at the Old Testament, we can see the revelation of Jesus everywhere. But they were blind in this moment and they couldn't see the Messiah even when he's standing right in front of them. And at the end of the day, this dilemma of a supreme authority verifying himself, it leaves a gap that can only be filled by faith. Not, not faith based in nothing. We don't believe in faith based in nothing. We believe faith based in evidence and substance. But no matter how far you can take the journey intellectually, you come to this chasm that has to be filled by faith. And Jesus, he demands a decision, and faith is a realm in which we accept his claims about himself. Now, in a moment, we're going to see that Jesus extends a grace uh, to us. He's going to leave us with second-party witness. And uh, later on in John, uh, that actually gets uh, pushed to another uh, part of uh, who God reveals himself to be. But in verse 16, he says, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now you might ask, when, when did the Father bear witness of the Son? Now you're going to have to go back a little bit into Jesus' life at the beginning of his ministry. What happened? Well, he went to the Jordan River. He met with his cousin, John the Baptist, who was baptizing people in water and repentance. And he was baptized. And what happened in that moment? Well, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, they both have this account, this eyewitness account of what happens in this moment. The Spirit of God descends like a dove and, and, and lands on Jesus. And the Father's voice from heaven says what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Later in John, we see Jesus revealing another who will bear witness to himself in this world. And that's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that witness, and that's the witness we have today. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals and helps us when we come to that gap that requires faith to step into that faith and receive Jesus into our hearts and our lives. He's the one who bears witness that Jesus' claims are true. And then we step in to following the light of partaking of the bread of life. 
Verse 19 says, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered him, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. It's an interesting dynamic we live in today in our society. You know, spirituality is seeing a bit of a resurgence. Um, unfortunately, statistics for Canadians are, are hard to come by. But according to Pew Research, from 2012 to 2017, there was an increase in those identifying as spiritual but not religious. And it was up 19%. It was up from 19% to 27% between the years of 2012 to 2017. Uh, that's over a quarter of the population. The biggest leaders in those ages were 30 to 49-year-olds, followed by 18 to 29-year-olds. But here's the rub. Spirituality, as defined by our culture, is ambiguous at best. Most of it is self-defined, right? You hear uh, things like live your truth. <laughs> Um, it's very self-defined. And no notice what Jesus is saying to these leaders in this moment. Though, though you're spiritual leaders in Israel, you don't know me. And because you don't know me, you actually don't know the Father. Because I'm here to reveal who the Father is. This Yahweh that you serve, I am the living, breathing revelation of him to the world. So he's saying, you, you have self-defined your version of God. And because I don't fit your version, you don't recognize the Messiah. God incarnate, God with flesh on. Friends, I think there's an opportunity before us as our neighbors become more aware of uh, the metaphysical realities of our world. But, but we can't shy away from the fact that they are searching for God. Not a God. They're searching for the God. The one who created them. The one who set this world in motion. And this and, and the only way to know this God that we are seeking is through Jesus Christ, his son. Because Christ is the revelation of God to the world. Um, the, this is the tension that Christianity will always present to the world. The exclusivity of knowing God and discovering your purpose in this life and the next is solely found in the person of Jesus Christ. Any other version of the gospel is a false gospel. And this leads to the stark contrast of these two kingdoms and what that means for each and every one of us. Verse 21 goes on to say, So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? Uh, keep in mind, uh, the Jews believe suicide is like a, the, 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 the worst sin. Uh, There's a special place in hell for those that committed suicide, according to the Jewish belief system at that time. And so they're, they're, they're kind of making this assumption that perhaps Jesus is talking about killing himself because none of them would follow him there. Um, and so that's kind of where that's going. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. Notice the contrasting of kingdoms. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? In other words, who do you think you are? Then Jesus said to them, 
Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Do you notice the warning in this passage? It's actually, he warns them twice. He's contrasting these kingdoms and he's, he's revealing a reality that each and every one of us have to wrestle with. You are of this world. You will continue to seek a Messiah, a Savior, because you didn't recognize him when he came. Because you self-defined who God is, based on your interpretation of the Old Testament, he's speaking to these religious rulers, you will miss the Messiah when he's right in front of you. Friends, in this culture, in this day, in this time, the same is true. If we, will, if we simply self-define based on our feelings, based on our uh, experiences, based on what we believe should be true in this world, we will always self-define God. And because Jesus doesn't line up with our definition, we will miss him. So the question is, are we open to knowing God for who he is and who he was revealed to be through the life of Jesus? So here's the tension. Here's what we have to walk in. The outcome, the consequence of this is that you will die in your sin. Because you are of this world, this kingdom. You, you cannot remain of this world and follow me to the one that I go to. Is essentially what Jesus is saying. But, but he puts a caveat. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now this is the blessed hope. This is the good news. It's not that Jesus came and basically said, there's two kingdoms. I'm a part of this one. You're a part of that one. Adios. Uh, have a nice life because it's not going to end well. No, he makes a way. If you believe in him, there is a way to walk into that new kingdom that he is establishing. There's a hope that remains, but it's exclusive to believing in the person of Jesus Christ. Another quick thing to note is before in John, Jesus references uh, being lifted up. He actually re references it twice, that he's being lifted up. And he's talking and alluding to the cross, being lifted up on the cross. But now, he actually points his finger to these religious rulers. He says, when you have lifted me up. And this is, of course, a foreshadowing of the cross. The songwriter wrote, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Now before we point our fingers to these religious rulers for missing it so poorly and so badly, we need to understand that they are just stand-ins as well for us. They are stand-ins for humanity. And so before we point our fingers, we need to understand that it's our sin as well that lifted Jesus up on that cross and held him there until it was accomplished. William Barclay writes, the word for sin is harmatia, which originally had to do with shooting and literally missing a, a target. 
Those who refuse to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord have missed the target in life. They die with life unrealized and they therefore die unfitted to enter into the higher life with God. The essence of sin is that it separates us from God. When Adam, in the old story, committed the first sin, his first instinct was to hide himself from God. Those who die in sin die at enmity with God. Those who accept Christ already walk with God, and death only opens the way to a closer walk. To refuse Christ is to be a stranger to God. To accept him is to be a friend of God, and in that friendship, the fear of death is forever banished. Now this is the reality. This becomes a tension in many ways for us as believers, but also for the world around us. Because many have tried to justify a more universalistic kind of view of Scripture to make room for uh, either salvation after we leave this world or this idea that everyone in the end is going to be saved because of God's love. But the Scriptures simply don't support those views. What they do support is a level of grace as it pertains to salvation. You know, there's a mystery as it pertains to the sovereignty of God in the act of salvation in each person. You know, the, 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 most, uh, the question that comes up most when it comes to salvation is, what happens for those who have never heard of Jesus? Well, Paul speaks to this. He speaks to natural revelation, that each of us has, has a natural revelation in this world of a creator God. Uh, we also have an imprint of morality baked into each, every one of us because we were made in the image of God. So to the level that we understand the one true God as creator, we will be held responsible. And there's a mystery in that. I'm not even going to pretend I understand the mechanics of salvation in every instance. But I do know that God is good and God is just and God is merciful and he's full of grace. But at the end of the day, this reality still remains. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 John 5, 11 to 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 3, 36. And on and on and on it goes. And in a world of tolerance and the belief that all ways of life are created equal, this truth becomes so polarizing. And yet it remains the truth just the same. May the warning of Jesus to the Pharisees in chapter 8 cause us to consider who we've been looking for as our Savior. Do we serve a self-defined God? And another way of saying this would, would be a God that's made in our own image. Or are we content to see God through Jesus who shows us who he is and makes a way for us to know him? In a moment, we're going to take communion together. But before we do, let's just spend a moment in reflection and prayer. Lord, we thank you 
for revealing yourself as the light of the world. Lord, for, for revealing the contrasting of these two kingdoms. And deep down, we each know that this, this is a reality for each and every one of us. But for some of us, perhaps in this moment, this is the first time we're hearing of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus revealing God to us, the one who created all things, the one who created us. In this moment, Holy Spirit, would you bear witness to Jesus in each life? And in this moment, Lord, we say yes to Jesus. Lord, we want to pursue you and know you. We want to have life and life, not just in this world, but eternally. We want to be a part of your kingdom and your way. We see you as king and God. And we bow our knee in submission to you. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love extended and this good news that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.